Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that I would preach faithfully what is in the text. Lord, you have, by your sovereign will and your sovereign power, you have brought each of us here this morning to look at this particular passage. So I pray that each person that you have brought here, Lord, would listen faithfully and carefully, would be challenged, would be fed, would grow. Lord, as we look at Jesus, Lord, may so many other things be put in their right places in our lives when we are reminded who our Savior is. Would you do that through your word today? In Christ's name, amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This morning we're going to look at verses 30 through 38. We have been working through this section here where Jesus is talking to these Jews And in the last two weeks, we have read about Jesus making some absolutely incredible claims about himself. This man who is talking here with the Jews has said that he is united to the Father God. He actually told the Jews if they were to dishonor him, they would be dishonoring God the Father. Because Jesus and the Father have this glorious relationship together where the Father has shared everything with Jesus. Two things in particular, and we looked at this last week, two things in particular, life itself, the Father has shared with the Son, and judgment. The two things which last week we talked about are the two most fundamental things for our existence. What we think about life and what we think about judgment shapes everything about how we see the world. And they've been given to Jesus. They belong to this man. Why do they belong to him? We're going to look at that today. Because of the Father's plan. Because of the Father's plan. Last week we saw Jesus claim universe-shaping power. At some point in the future, Jesus is going to raise his voice and every person who has ever lived will come forth and answer his call, his call. When we're afraid, let's remember who we worship. When we're afraid to talk about Jesus, let's remember who Jesus is. When we're struggling, let's remember who exactly we are here this morning to worship. The man who's going to raise his voice and every person ever will come forth And they won't just come forth to live. They're going to come forth to be judged by him. But why does he have that power? He has it because this was the Father's plan. I mean, after all, what are we doing here? I mean, why are we here today? Why are you and me, why are we living in this particular culture at this particular time with these particular challenges? Why are we here? Parents, why are you parents today? Why do you have the children that you have? Children, and that includes all of you 20, 30, 50, 60 year old children as well. Why did you have the parents that you had? What is Jesus doing here in Galilee talking to these Jews? All of it is because of the Father's plan. That's why. It's all because of the Father's plan. You are where you are at Parents, you have the children you have. Children, you have the parents you have. Because the Father 
works all things according to His own holy will. He has a plan that He is unfolding. That's why Jesus is here in Galilee as well. But if that were the case, if that were truly the case, then there would be signs of that, wouldn't there? There would be signs that that was true. If, if those things that Jesus was saying, if they were more than just words, then the claim that Jesus is making would have to fit into reality. Because people can say a lot of things, can't they? But if those things that are said, if they don't match up with the reality that's around us, why would those things be true? This is something that Jesus himself teaches us. He says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. There should be evidence of reality. If someone's heart has been changed, then we should expect that there be evidence of that. There should be witnesses of that reality that can testify to it. If there is a Father God who has a plan, then there should definitely be some witnesses of that, right? And of course, there is. There are witnesses if your eyes are not completely blinded. Creation sings the Father's song. The complexity of the most simple organic substance testifies to the presence of this supremely intelligent, powerful designer and creator. And if we're going to say that the creator is also a father, and that father has a plan, and that plan is centered on the person, Jesus, who is God the Son, there should be witnesses to that too. And there are. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to look at several of the witnesses here to Jesus. So as we're celebrating the Christmas season, we should rejoice as we see Jesus here declaring the witnesses to who He is, the witnesses to the reality of the Jesus that you and I claim that we worship and we rely on each and every day and in each and every situation. And so Jesus here, He understands this principle that if you're going to say something, it should match reality. It's not wrong to see the evidence for the claims that Jesus is making. He's willing to patiently show them. So what I want you to do as I read here, listen as Jesus tells us that He's here because of the Father's plan, and there's witnesses to that fact. Let's begin reading. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears witness about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. 
His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Okay. So Jesus has said this several times to the Jews, but it's obviously worth repeating. He's here because the Father has sent him. He's not here on his own mission. He's not about his own business. He's not coming and setting up, I'm a different God. He's not coming and setting up, I'm something totally new. No, he is saying that he comes from the Father. He is the fulfillment of what? He's the fulfillment of the Father's plan. Don't ever forget when you're reading the Bible that the Father has a plan that has been unfolding from the very beginning. He says it several times in this passage this morning. He was sent. He was sent. So he's claiming that his authority comes from God the Father, and then he starts explaining how they should know that. It's not just on his own say-so. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So here, he's simply saying what he already said. Jesus isn't asking them to just believe the words that he's saying. He's speaking on their level. There should be evidence of what he's saying, and there is. So we're going to break this down into four parts today. There is an outline in the bulletin, if that's helpful for you. But the first thing I want us to think about this morning is, first, Jesus doesn't need a witness for his own sake. Jesus doesn't need a witness for his own sake. We want to clear that up right away. You know, you and I, we're always looking for signs and evidence that, that, that God's behind what we're doing, aren't we? Like, we, we, we want a sign that, that we're walking in God's will. We, uh, we're, we're often like Gideon. We, we want as much proof as we possibly can get before we do a thing that, that God uh, is for us in that. We have desires, we have plans, and we just, we want to know that they're backed by God. We want evidence to it. But Jesus, see this right away, Jesus has a different relationship with God than you and I do. The Father and the Son have a very different relationship. He says, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So here, Jesus is talking about himself and the testimony of this other. It's not, it's not John the Baptist. The way it's written, this is clearly referring back to the Father. The, it's the Father here that Jesus says, I know that he bears witness for me. He's going he's gonna to say what they know in a moment, but he knows that there is one who bears witness to him. He needs nothing else. The witnesses that Jesus is about to list out for them, and he's going to list out several here, they're not for his sake. He's not saying it because he needs to be reminded of who he is and his authority. He's not saying it because he needs them to back him up. He doesn't need that at all. He doesn't need the affirmation of these witnesses. Jesus knows who he is. He knows the relationship that he has with the Father. So why is he giving these witnesses? It's not for his sake. He's giving the witnesses because the people that he's talking to, they need them. This is a kindness here that we see in God's part. I I used to really like, I mean dislike, I used to really dislike the word condescension. After all, I mean, it just sounds snooty, doesn't it? You don't want to be condescending. And we, we talk about the word condescension. 
we're usually too prideful and we're too self-centered to ever see that as a good word. We see it as somebody else who's thinking that they're better than we are, that they're looking down their nose at us, that they're acting like they're better than we are, that they're making us feel like they're better than we are. That's how we use the word today, that you're being condescending, you're talking down to me. And so we don't like that word. But the question we ought to wrestle with is, what if, what if the person really is better than we are? What if they really are more than we are and more than we could ever be? What if they really don't have to do a thing for you? And yet they're willing to. It's when I realized that condescension is, and this is the word that's been used theologically in, in the church, Condescension is absolutely the right word for what Jesus is willing to do for us. He who knew no sin became sin. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's when I realized that this is absolutely the right word for what Jesus did for us, that I realized it can be a beautiful word. When we talk about the condescension of Jesus, it is a beautiful idea. He doesn't need a witness for his own sake. So we can, we can provide witnesses for, for our own ability. You know, we want, you, we want people to know why they should listen to us. We want to give our pedigree. We want to give our resume. We want to give our references. You should listen to me because I know this person and they're, they've got my back on this. And when we do that so often, it's an affirmation to the person. It's also an affirmation to us of, of who we are. Jesus does not need these witnesses for himself. He knows who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the one who will judge each and every one of us for our sins. It's His kindness that He condescends to speak to us. To show these Jews that He's not just saying words. The very fact that the Son of God came to the Jews and spoke to them, that's enough that they should believe, shouldn't they? If they do not they will be condemned for it. He doesn't have to do more, and yet He does. He says in this passage, He says, but I say these things that you might be saved. This is the goal of our Lord, that you might be saved. We've seen this over and over and over again in John. He's not here to play games. He's not here to go, oh, 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 <laughs> you thought I was... No, He's not here to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He's here so that the world might be saved through Him. He's here to tell them the witnesses to who He is so that they might be saved. There is every chance, guys, of seeing God in this world. There is every chance of seeing Christ in this world. The problem we have is not with the fact that God is not evident. He is evident. You and I, Christian, we ought to be making Him as evident as possible 
so that those around us might be saved. If Jesus condescended to love you of all people and to love me of all people, then we can go forward and desire that others would see the same thing. Jesus does not need this witness for himself. We need the witnesses. The Jews need the witnesses. And the evidence is right here, plain and clear in front of them. There is truth that is testifying to God. Jesus is not hiding himself. God does not hide himself. Like wisdom in the Proverbs, he's at the crossroads. He's at the gates of the city. He's there wherever his children are, as long as his children are pointing to his excellencies. So, that's the first thing. He doesn't need a witness. You and I need witnesses. It's his kindness. Secondly, though, let's consider that John the Baptist is a witness. He's the witness that the Jews need. John the Baptist is a witness that the Jews needed. Sure enough here, Jesus is talking about what they need to hear. He says, you called to John. You called to John. John the Baptist was a big figure in the world at this time. You know, Josephus talks about how everybody was excited to come and see John the Baptist preach. He was a major figure in the stage here in Israel at this time. And Jesus says, John bore witness to this truth, this truth that he's proclaiming of who he is. Again, Jesus didn't need John so that he could know who he was. John the Baptist didn't tell Jesus who he was. Jesus knew. John came for them, the Jews who are here listening, so they would know who Jesus is. And John wasn't really subtle about it either, was he? He was a burning and a shining lamp. And we read that they were willing to rejoice in that light for a while. But we're also going to read that all they really did was enjoy the light that John made. They were looking at John. They were excited by John. They were considering what was in it for them. But they didn't fully believe the testimony that John was giving. Do you remember back in the beginning of John when, when we had... I'm getting confusing here. Back at the beginning of John the Gospel, when the people came to John the Baptist and said, Who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? They wanted to know who he was, and he told them who he was. And more than that, when Jesus showed up, he told them who Jesus was. They didn't believe the testimony that John was giving. And when we think about that, I want to, I want to make sure that you and I see the warning here that's for us. Because there is a world of difference between enjoying good preaching and hearing good preaching and loving good preaching and knowing and believing Jesus. There's a world of difference between those things. You know, I read this week that Benjamin Franklin loved George Whitfield's preaching. He was friends with George Whitfield. But even though Whitfield preached the gospel clearly and he preached the gospel powerfully, Benjamin Franklin did not believe in the gospel that George Whitfield preached. So don't fall for a preacher and miss that preachers are telling you to look at Jesus, right? That's like going to the Grand Canyon and looking at the tour guide 
We don't go to the Grand Canyon to see the tour guide. You go to the Grand Canyon and the tour guide stands there and says, let me show you exactly what you're seeing here in this beauty. Don't look at me, look at that, right? But it's even more than that here. We know that's true. I would challenge you, make sure you know that's true. We all love good preaching. We all love good preachers. But don't forget that good preachers are just pointing you to Jesus. He's the one who saves. He's the one who, who gives you righteousness. He's the one who condescends. But it's more than that here because we're here, we're not even just talking about some preacher. We're talking about John the Baptist. Right? This witness is more than any other witness. This is John the Baptist. Jesus calls him a burning and a shining lamp. There's a reference here to Psalm 132. 132 verses 16 and 17. You read there, Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. There will I make a horn sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. A lamp for my anointed. A light for my Christ. My anointed. The witness that the Jews called for, John the Baptist here, the one that they saw him. That's what Jesus is saying. You already saw this witness. You called for him. You wanted him. And sure enough, just like the saints there in Psalm 132, when he came, there was rejoicing that happened. But what went wrong, they rejoiced in the witness. They did not rejoice in the Christ. They rejoiced in this earthly figure and they did not rejoice in God's Christ. They got caught up in this man and they missed what this was really all about. The Father's plan goes way beyond just this man here, John the Baptist. They need to rejoice in God's anointed Himself. They need to see what the Father's plan actually is. And they're going to have a hard time with that. They've had a hard time with it right from when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. That's not who the Christ is supposed to be. The Christ is supposed to show up and He's supposed to save us all politically. The Christ is supposed to show up and right now He's supposed to usher in the kingdom. And, and we as Israel are going to be uh, going to become a political power. We're, right now, the lamb, the lambs die. Lambs are sacrificed. They could not see the Father's plan. Let's make sure that we don't fall for that same mistake. That we know what the Father's plan ultimately is. Because they had John the Baptist. It's not that God hadn't given His witness. Think of this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before John the Baptist showed up, God said He would. What God said would happen in hundreds of years, it did. And it happened just the way He said it would. It's the Father's plan. If they would just listen to what they would have been told, they would see that Jesus fits everything that God has said. But the problem was, Jesus didn't fit everything they expected. 
And we've talked about that a lot, haven't we? John gives us so many answers to the question, who is Jesus? He is the Lamb. He's also the Word. He's also the Shepherd. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. We can fall for putting Jesus in the boxes we want Him to be in. And that's it. And we have. Our culture has. Within the church, we have. We have people who have only highlighted the mercy of Jesus and have neglected His justice. We have people who have only highlighted His justice and neglected His mercy. We have people who have made Jesus into some sort of social figure who's only concerned with changing things now in the present through various theories, through worldly secular philosophy. And that's who Jesus is. We have other people, though, who have made Jesus somebody who's far off. The mistake that they've made is they can't hear John the Baptist because Jesus doesn't match their expectations. Third thing this morning, the works of Jesus are a witness. The works of Jesus are a witness. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, look at what I'm doing. The works that somebody does, they speak about who that person is. And Jesus makes that point to them as well. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I have done. He has already worked miracles. He has already healed the sick. He's already showed that sovereign power that only belongs to the Lord. We saw it at the beginning of this chapter when He chose this one man out of the whole crowd and He said to this man, get up and walk. And you remember we pointed out he didn't, he didn't, that man didn't even have faith. That man didn't even know who he was talking to. Jesus has shown His power. His works testify to who He is. But for us who are reading, we know more than what they do at this moment, don't we? Because we know what Jesus is going to do. We know the, the ultimate work that He is going to do that highlights the Father's plan for us. It's the work that we're going to celebrate at the end of the service when we go and when we have the bread and when we have the, the, the drink and we, we, we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins so that He would buy us. The Father's plan is to make a people for His own possession. The Father's plan is to bring a kingdom that's made of renewed hearts, of people who have been saved out of the condemnation of sin. Any picture that we have of Jesus in this culture that does not clearly point to the fact that the ultimate plan of the Father is to save sinners through the blood of Christ for His own glory is wrong. And anything that emphasizes something different. We have to be so careful, don't we? We have to be so careful. 
that we make sure that we know the Father's plan. We rejoice in the Father's plan. There's a correction there for so many of us. So we've talked, uh, we've talked about the, the, the lies that spread through our culture. <clears throat> the lies that Jesus is accepting of you just however you are. And this is a lie that, you know, gets the obvious attack point for this lie is the homosexual movement, and the transgender movement, and the idea that Jesus would just accept us for who we are. We know that that's not true if we know the Bible. Jesus will love us in our sin. Jesus will meet us in our sin. But he will not approve of us in our sin. He will not affirm us in our sin, as so many think that Jesus would. He meets us in our sin to change us, to grab us, to shape us. So we can't fall for that lie, can we? We can't fall for the, for the lie uh, the, of um, I, social justice, this picture that Jesus only cares about the temporary things of, of now, or, or that Jesus' intention is only in the here and now to right wrongs, because we know that those are not the wrongs ultimately in this present moment, that the judgment now is not the judgment to be concerned about. The judgment is the one from God on the day when Jesus raises His voice and calls everyone forth. And if we only focus now, obviously we're not saying that you shouldn't focus now, but if you only focus now, well then what happens on that day if we do not see that God's intention is to save us from a condemnation and hell for eternity, then we've missed the Jesus of Scripture, right? But if we only see Jesus as far off, and we only see Jesus as mattering on that day, if we only see Jesus' role as being present on that day, well, then we have missed the fact that Jesus has broken into the world now. That you and I as Christians, we have an opportunity now to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in order that He could call His sheep. We're so prone to, to highlighting one aspect of who Jesus is. And the Bible is a great correction for us if we read it faithfully and carefully. And if we hear the Father's plan... The Jews here heard John the Baptist. You're not going to hear a better witness to Jesus than John the Baptist. And they missed it. And then they had Jesus' own works here, breaking into history, breaking into the world. Who else could do these things but God? Who else could come and do what this man has done. And then you add that on to John the Baptist, who's clearly a prophet, who clearly fits the story of the Old Testament, who has come and they recognize that he was unique. And then along comes Jesus, speaking the truth. He's doing the works that the, that the Old Testament has prepared for. There is clear witness to Jesus here. But... We're going to end this morning with this thought, and we're going to pick up with it next week.
They need more than a witness. They need more than a witness. Now, don't hear, don't hear me wrong. They certainly don't need less than a witness. This is not an excuse for us to not proclaim the excellencies of Christ. This is not an excuse for us to not speak about Jesus, not evangelize, not, not pray and hope and work and talk that others might be saved. But they need more than a witness. Look at what he says here, 37 and 38. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. This is actually a really clever and pointed indictment here. Think about it. They are standing before the Son of God. But they are so blind that even with witnesses, they can't tell. His voice you have never heard, says the word of God, who speaks with the voice of God to them. His form you have never seen, says God become flesh, standing in front of them. Do you see the indictment here? He is literally the voice of God. He is the form of God. He's standing in front of them. They could reach out and touch him. And yet he is telling them, you have never seen. You have never heard. The witnesses were not enough. Standing in front of Christ himself was not enough. The terrible irony here is that they're looking at God and they don't hear Him and they don't see Him. They don't know Him for who He is. They need more than witnesses. And so do you and I. Sometimes we can think that if we could just argue just rightly enough, if we could get just the right words, if we could say just the right thing, we could convince somebody else of who Jesus is. But what you and I have to remember is how absolutely hopeless we are because it points to the Father's plan. We can't ever forget, we're so hopeless by ourselves. You and I are so incredibly hopeless by ourselves that we could stand before Jesus and not see Him or hear Him for who He is. That's what it is to be dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what it is to be blind. So, what's the Father's plan? The Father's plan is to save us from such an incredible death and blindness that we could never make it to God on our own. That's His plan. These Jews who have had the Old Testament, and they didn't just have the Old Testament, John the Baptist came and clearly explained and pointed to what the Old Testament was pointing to. And then they had Jesus himself show up, and there he was doing the works that were prepared. His birth fulfilled all the prophecies. He fulfilled everything John the Baptist was saying. They literally had it laid out in front of them. And he says, you guys haven't seen God and you guys haven't heard God. Can you imagine the indictment to them that that is? 
We have to. We have to understand. It means that we're hopeless. We are dead apart from the Father making us alive. The people that we long to see saved, the Father must save them. There is no other way than God working through Jesus Christ. That's how hopeless we are. Don't ever forget the Father's plan. The Father's plan is to make dead people alive. We can, we can limit His plan to what we just see in front of us. We can get caught up in the things that we just see in front of us. But the Father's plan is so much greater than we can imagine. Christian, don't take for granted the fact that you were dead and God made you alive. You didn't deserve it. He did it. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that God loved us enough that His plan is to make you and I alive. What does that mean for us today? It means for us today, if we were truly that hopeless, if on our own we truly were that hopeless, it means that now everything about us belongs to Jesus. We live for Him. We live by His Word. We should fight to make sure we see the clear picture of who Jesus is in Scripture as He presents Himself and worship Him in every way. We look for saviors everywhere around us. We need to look at Christ. We need to ask, how is He our Savior today? What is the Father's plan today? And what do, how does that include you, Christian? His plan hasn't changed. He's still calling His sheep. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. Lord, seeing Your chosen people here, the representatives of Your chosen people, being told by Your own Son that they are so blind that they cannot see God when He's standing in front of them. Lord, I pray that that humbles us. Lord, I pray that it, it, it breaks our pride. Any sense we have, Lord, that we simply deserve the life you give. Or that we have done anything in and of our own power. Lord, we thank you, though, for your kindness to us. Once you have made us alive, Lord, we see your witnesses everywhere the beauty of the earth, your perfect design. Lord, the hearts that you have changed, our own heart as we see it change and break and soften. Lord, as we see ourselves walking out of the darkness and into the light of Christ and truth. Father, I praise you that you have a plan. Lord, we want our plans today to match perfectly with your own. We want to worship Jesus as he's presented in Scripture. We want to proclaim Jesus, the Lord, the King. Lord, we don't want to fall for any lies about who Jesus is. We don't want to make assumptions that we know. Lord, we want your word to direct us on who your King is. Father, we want to live by your plan today. Lord, as we live in a world that is led by lies, 
in a world that would long for to, to pull all of us away from the truth that you have given to us, Lord. We want to honor our King in the midst of that. We've been bought. We've been saved. We have been made righteous, Lord. We want to honor our King. We want to live in the truth. We want to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We want to proclaim that we live the way that we live to honor you because you are the creator. You are the judge. Lord, we want to live for you and we want to proclaim your salvation now because we know that your plan ultimately is to save people out of their sin. Father, it's more glorious than we can imagine what you're doing in history. I pray that we're a faithful part of it as your children. That you rejoice to see us as we stumble along sometimes, as we struggle, but as we strive to live by the strength that you've given us in the light that you have made in Christ. We praise you. Amen.